and welcome to our weekly podcast, Suds, where we catch up on all the big news and guests from tech and startups in Australia and around the world. I'm Simon Thompson. And I'm Elliot Hasty. Simon, what a week it has been. It's all culminating together at the end, of course. Oh, man. Well, look, I, I must also give a big nod to you because you've been in the middle of reporting season on AusBiz as well, Elliot. So you've been talking to major tech companies on the ASX as well as uh, others. It's been a massive week all around. But of course, the big news is what's happening in the Ukraine. Not only is it sort of terrible potentially for just everyone who lives there, but of course for investors out here, we've seen tech stocks smashed. I mean, one of them, the former Afterpay, which is now Block, has dropped from about $160 uh, on Valentine's Day to 116 today. It's down around another 12, 13%. Tech stocks are just being smashed around the world. Um, So it's... uh, you know, devastation all over the place in some ways, but, you know, nothing like being in a war zone. Absolutely not. And even if you think about Ukraine, obviously what happened on Thursday is big news. Bitcoin itself dropped down 3% uh, almost immediately on the news, but it had sort of been, there'd been little elements of it going on all Thursday in terms of cybersecurity. So Ukraine had a massive hack, which saw a lot of their government websites um, go down. Yeah, well, this is the other part of warfare nowadays. We've gone from, you know, tanks and nuclear subs to cyber warfare, and it's the Russians have been very good at this. And, of course, the Russians in 2021, I think there was a massive escalation in ransomware attacks and cyber attacks in general that uh, governments around the world were dealing with. Now they're hitting the Ukraine pretty hard with uh, some of the things that are taking down infrastructure. But the wiping one is the even scarier one that they're now using because... If the West gets involved in this sort of conflict, you can be sure that they're going to come after them with the same sort of stuff. And this is going to be this massive tech-cyber war that is going to rage backwards and forwards. We know that out here the governments are warning about it and putting out security warnings. Um, The Prime Minister has sort of said, get ready for retaliatory attacks. I just think uh, the Australian Cyber Security Centre has ramped up its guidance. So companies themselves are going to have to be prepared for this because it's going to come in all directions. Absolutely. It's no longer just boots on the ground as we keep sort of talking about. It is It is everywhere. It is global. Look, um, and it is financial. It's government. It's Yeah, we used to be worried about sort of, you know, during the Cold War about being outside the range of a nuclear weapon. We thought Australia was reasonably safe. Now, no one is safe. You know, you can be a little business in Hobart and Tasmania and, you know, cyber, cyber hacks can come after you. And, of course, we will be keeping you across it all um, on Startup Daily TV and, of course, on the website um, as well. But, Simon, there was some fun news out this week as well. You know, it's not all, it's not all doom and gloom, is it? Oh, look, you know, you know, Elliot, we spend all day passing memes backwards and forwards to each other. But uh, the one of the things that caught my eye was the artist who is selling NFT girlfriends to lonely men. Now, this is kind of genius in some ways. I wish I'd thought of this. Um, as someone sort of said, they basically look like HSC artworks, most of these. They're not exactly the, um, the Mona Lisa, these drawings. But this company called Bull Market Girlfriends, founded by husband and wife team Christina Kay and Martin Lavoie, Uh, are selling NFTs and there's like the beauty queen one, the devilish girlfriend, the alien girlfriend. They're making millions out of this. If you have a look at it on Twitter, it's at Bull Girlfriends. Um, They keep putting up these pictures which are kind of like 
pop arty sort of, you know. And if you're into women with uh, orange faces and blue hair, um, my gosh, remember that. So if you're old, the Simpsons fan or something. Yeah, if you're a Simpsons <laughs> fan or you're a fan of that old, um, remember that painting that used to sit there of the woman with the blue face? Um, it became a classic. Oh, I've forgotten what it is. Never mind. Let's <laughs> move on. But they're talking about Lindsay Lohan getting involved in this whole thing. It's kind of like. It's, it's already $2 million um, worth, of, worth of girlfriends to the contact starved masses, according to them. I mean, the, the pictures are actually quite cool. I mean, it, you you like know, I don't think, I don't think right? you have to be lonely to actually appreciate the, the art to it. Well, let me put it this way. Would you pay 2.2 ether, roughly seven or nearly 8,000 Australian dollars for one of these? Because that's the sort of money they're going for. If ether keeps falling, I might be able to afford that, Simon. You never know. <laughs> well, I'd probably sort of just go a little bit more and get an Andy Warhol one anyway. He's, he was doing this, if you think about it, sort of nearly 50 years ago in terms of brightly coloured women, but there you go. Getting into some of the guests that we had on uh, this week, I think one of the interesting ones um, that I that I spoke to was Tom McMahon from the Tech Council of Australia. So they've done some research into tech jobs, people getting into tech jobs, of course. Um, and it was quite interesting what they did when they crunched the numbers, particularly around gender, Simon. It was. And there was a great interview, Elliot, and Tom sort of had all of this data. And, and you asked about the uh, the gender skew in training. And here's what he said about crunching the numbers. What we found is that, uh, you know, it depends on different uh, people, how they enter the sector. So we know that for men, most likely they're going to come through the university or vocational education training system. We have a real gender skew in that training system around 90% of uh, men, uh, around 90% of the people who train in the tech sector are men. Um, and women are much more likely to enter as a mid-career mid transition. So we know that the time that women are most likely to enter the sector is between the ages of 25 and 30. We went on to talk about more of the report as well, not just women entering mid-career, which, you know, again, those, those numbers I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit concerned by. I'm like, I don't think I'm mid-career. <laughs> yeah, um, you're almost superannuated <laughs> at this point, aren't you? But talking about the pay gap, now we all know that there is a, there is a problem um, in gender pay, but apparently... It's not quite as exaggerated in the tech industry as it is in some of the other ones. I think what we saw across the report is just that, you know, what matters in the tech sector is what skills you have, not what your background is. So we see that across a broad variety of metrics, whether that is, you know, gender, where you went to school, whether it was public or private, whether you trained through the vocational education system or went to uni, there's really low pay gaps uh, when people enter the tech sector. And, and the the key reason for that is just that what the industry cares about is can you do the job, not not what's your background or where did you come from. We know that uh, people from a non-English speaking background are overrepresented in the tech sector as well. So I think we see that across a, a lot of different metrics and we really put that down to the kind of egalitarian spirit of the tech sector in Australia, which is looking for the talent wherever they can find it. Um, and once they find it, it's well rewarded. It was a really good interview, so I do re definitely recommend it um, if you are in tech or wanting to get into tech because there's some interesting insights and, of course, more of the report can be found on Startup Daily as well. Simon, one of the ones you did, of course, if we expanded out, we looked at Ocean Impact, who has started an accelerator program. Yeah, we've been tracking them for a while now and we've had them on the show previously, Elliot, and we got Nick Chiarelli back on because after all the programs they've done in the last couple of years, 
that today's the day. Like they got to launch big time because they've launched both an accelerator program and a VC fund to back startups with solutions that are going to tackle the problems with the ocean. And he talked about how, you know, there are these incredible links between ocean health and, of course, all of the other stuff we're talking about with climate change. And so Nick was explaining the ambitions they have because they want to back 100 ocean impact startups in the next five years. I love the ambition of this. You know, Australia's behind a few other countries in the world in terms of ocean health and, and ocean health tech. Um, the you know, what we do have here is is uh, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to marine organisations and marine science and 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 every type of marine um, ecosystem um, you, you could ask for. What we've done over the last couple of years with things like Pitchfest was shine a light on organisations and startups um, happening overseas in order to show in particular Australian investors that, hey, this is a space that's, you know, not just about conservation and philanthropy there's things that we can invest in here that can generate fantastic returns whilst improving ocean health and i think as well you know he does say australia's behind some of the other countries obviously ocean impact is going to accelerate it there's so many startups that can do so much to improve ocean health just some of the things they're thinking about you know seaweed solutions um to capture carbon energy from waves and tides we might really need that energy if anything else happens internationally, it's incredible what just looking after the ocean can do to a range of different things. And imagine picking up that giant sea of plastic in the middle of the ocean where the currents meet that is a massive problem. But the fascinating thing I think that Nick said was, you know, he'd spent about two years both educating people around the space and what was going on, checking demand for both the startups themselves who wanted to go down this path, but also the investors. And now we can really see the appetite there. I think it's going to be a really interesting space. Of course, not only will uh, Ocean Impact be involved in investing, I can just imagine a whole bunch of other impact investors or even think about Mike Cannon-Brooks with Grok, you know, which this week announced it was putting $200 million into uh, uh, a solar and wind farm investor, you know, he's got another $800 million to spend of that $1 billion promise he made. Imagine if some of that went down that path. But, of course, the others who are, in, who are investing in environmental tech have really got a great opportunity, and Nick's kind of helping build that up at this moment. Well, you brought up Mike Cannon-Brooks, so let's get into him. Obviously, he pushed for an AGL takeover. Everyone was a little bit blindsided, I think, when the news came out. The push has since been... Denied by AGL, they did come out sort of saying, mm, no, this this doesn't quite value us properly. What's going to be interesting is, of course, when we spoke to Dr. Bruce Mountain from the Victorian Energy Policy Centre, it's going to be interesting not only where it, where it goes, but what this sort of push by Mike sort of means moving forward. Oh, look, I think Cannon Brooks is fascinating in terms of how he is using his capital to drive change in this country. Of course, there's been a sense, and you only have to follow him on Twitter, to get that feeling that we're not moving fast enough. And, of course, we heard the noise from the government this week that was, again, sort of throwing its hands up in the air and going, what? What? The private market is going to sort this out? Let us intervene. Because, of course, that's what conservative governments love doing when it doesn't really suit their agenda. It's fascinating, that space. But talking to Dr Mountain from 
the, uh, the Victorian Energy Policy Centre, I did ask him about what he thought was going on. And he, I love his confidence in the market and the solutions that can happen. So I asked him, what's at play here? What's going on? Here's what he said. What Canon Brooks has said is that he's had the good fortune um, to, uh, you know, build a great fortune during his lifetime. And he feels passionately about decarbonizing um, energy supply and getting rid of carbon in a general sense. He's built up quite a passion and expertise in the power sector generally. Um, and he said he intends to use that capital to do something. So I imagine in his mind, uh, he says, I've got a few lazy billion, which I'm willing to risk. And if I'm willing to risk that, Brookfield will come in with a whole lot of um, more conservative but lower return debt. And the two of us can go together and uh, can put in the capital to clean up this company um, and to ensure cleaner energy supply in the market. So if I was in his head, based on what he said, I imagine that's the way he fundamentally sees it. He's evidently a man with the daring do needed to take on something as formidable as this um, and with a very great amount of energy. So I think put those things together. And frankly, for someone like me, who has a great confidence in private capital and entrepreneurs doing things that bureaucrats often struggle with, I think this is absolutely fantastic. It's a market-based solution um, bringing in and opening the floodgates for governments to work with him now to, to bring about a massive reform. I think for me, it's that sort of first part where he goes, oh, you know, Mike kind of book's got a fair, got a spare few billion flying around, so he's just going to throw it at things. But he's creating reform. He is, he's got it, he's doing it with a purpose. Look, he's got the runs on the board. And if you have a look at Grok, there's nearly a dozen companies in this space that he's invested in, you know. Think about that $30 billion project in the Northern Territory that's going to take solar power all the way to Singapore. You know, he's working in the electric bike space. He's working with Bright, of course, the financer for home solar and other renovations around the house that are more energy efficient. So he's walking the talk. But I kind of feel like this is... I've seen it happen in, in, in weekend auctions where you're just driving by the house, someone sees it for the first time, jumps out of the car, and the next thing you know, they're bidding a million dollars on the property, you know, sight unseen. There's a little sense of AGL and Cannon Brooks with, of course, Brookfield backing him, the Canadian infrastructure investment firm, sort of going, yeah, let's have a crack. But I think this has got somewhere to run. Of course, the value of the business jumped 10% on the day that the bid came out, and then it was rejected on the by the board on the weekend. And it's still tracking above the $7.50 offer that they put in. Interesting, we're talking about $5 billion. I wonder how serious the two parties in this, Brookfield and Cannon Brooks through Grok, are about making this happen. There's always going to be a right price. Will they be willing to pay it if they really want to accelerate this thing? The other great thing I liked about what Bruce had to say was that, yes, if we do accelerate the change, we will be able to do it faster and it won't be a problem. The technology will be there to intervene and get us to the, through this transition a little bit faster, which, of course, again, is everything that the government is not saying. And, of course, this is a standing invite for Mike Cannon-Brooks to join us on the show. We did ask. He, yeah, <laughs> Mike, yeah, love your work. Come and have a chat to us about it. Now, of course, we do our own TV channel here uh, on Ausbiz. We do our own show, Start It Daily, but there is always room for more content out there, for more videos. And we spoke to one guy who was 
doing that, Luke Cookie Cook, who's created Copper TV. I think um, they're on, well, that's just a regular platform for everyone to get involved with, which is inspiration. Copper.tv. Um, it's more than just inspiration. It's dealing with that mental health and all the stuff that we deal with. And what happened to Luke was he had a company that was kicking along uh, prior to COVID. It got smashed, of course, through that. It really hit his mental health. And he took a walk down to the coffee shop for a cup of coffee. It kind of changed his mood. This conversation I found incredibly moving. You know, there are times when you talk to people and you kind of end up just trying to keep it together. I kind of feel as Luke and I chatted for quite a long time, given how not long our interviews normally are on the show, he was holding it just together. I was holding it just together. I asked him initially to tell me the story of how it came about. Back when COVID first hit, my previous business was a rewards loyalty and gifting app called Funlocker. Uh, We would match rewards to people's interests, hobbies and desires, but it was all based around experiences. And um, when COVID hit, obviously experiences failed and I was one of these founders in um, Startup Land who invested all my money into building this app. And uh, once, uh, once we had a couple of hundred grand pulled underneath us, um, my world turned upside down, so much so that I hit the ground pretty hard um, to a point where my mental health wasn't in a good state. And it took a walk to the local coffee shop where I got my double shot latte. Mm-hmm. Um, started walking back and I started thinking about the mental health of myself, but also the mental health and well-being of many others. And that's where the idea came about of launching a virtual cafe, which we ended up calling Cupper of Life. And we started interviewing people, um, Kerry Potas, Lane Beachley. Uh, we got Dawn Fraser in, uh, Jimmy Barnes came in and we started having chats to them. And uh, that's where the connection really started. And fast forward two years, um, we've interviewed over 300 different experts, personalities and storytellers across all different walks of life, whether it's around indigenous culture and community, sustainability, et cetera. And uh, for me, we started galvanizing a community around us, a community of individuals who used to tune in every single day mm-hmm. uh, to corporates then wanting us to do private events and experiences for them as well. So yeah, fast forward now, we've worked with 90 different businesses and we've literally just launched what we're calling the Netflix um, for meaningful conversations out there because we've packaged up all these incredible conversations and made it as a resource for companies to yep. have better conversations internally for themselves. So now it's a twice-weekly live morning show. I think they've got one on uh, Fridays and would be Wednesdays, Tuesdays? I think so. So there's that. That's if you want to be there and join in as part of the conversation. But, of course, they've also got the hundreds of interviews with these extraordinary people along the way. And, not you know, there is the celebrity thing. So there are Olympic champions like Kieran Perkins and Kerry Potas. There's the fitness guy, Commander Steve. There's a, you know... Um, there's just this extraordinary bunch of people from all walks of life that he's spoken to about the way forward dealing with their mental health, the challenges that they face. Rosie Batty is in there, you know, and as I said to him, that that was an everyday mum, single mum, sort of dealing with a difficult situation in her relationship who ended up thrust onto the national stage because of an awful tragedy. And just the things that they have to say in terms of helping people out I think is really, really extraordinary. And I did ask him again about the conversations and the people who inspired him. Many of conversations that have opened up my eyes. Um, There's a guy by the name of Fadi X. Mm. Fadi X is a stateless person. He's not a citizen of any country. Mm. And he somehow has managed to get here through the conversations he's had and the learning that he's been able to do. And now he works for a major company here who has managed to get him over here without a passport, without a visa, anything. 
you hear such incredible stories and it just motivates you and inspires you. And when it comes to how leaders can communicate better with their teams, which is where our major focus is around conversations, you know, we're talking about a world where work and life are blurred completely now. And leaders need to be able to tackle things in a more empathetic way. And we're providing these conversation starters for them to be able to have better conversations with their employees. Start the conversation, even if it's just one conversation that you do that day, you don't know if that one conversation is gonna change your life. Now, of course he does say, you know, this, this whole cuppa, it is, it is helping people have those conversations. It is helping people have better conversations with their home lives, their employees, their employers as well. Um, now we did start on a negative note, so it's probably a good, good way to end on his positives for anyone that might be feeling sort of left out um, or isolated or is struggling, he had some advice for you. He did, uh, and he's gone through his own extraordinary journey as a startup founder because just a couple of weeks before this launched, uh, his co-founder, Jill Kovitz, went on a holiday, met, had a tragic accident, lost her life. And so he's been dealing with grief as he launched his startup. What's been remarkable is that Everyone in this little community have rallied around him and supported him and they've given him the feedback that you helped us, you talked to us, you engaged with us, now it's our turn to help carry you. But if you are feeling alone, if you are feeling a little bit out of sorts and you're not sure what to do, here's what he said about what to do next. Reach out to me. I don't care who you are if you are not in a good spot. Trust me, the last three weeks have been really tough for me as well. And if it hasn't been for the power of connection and for, for someone to actually listen, then that is the thing. You just need to take that first step. Well, I think that's a pretty good note to end on for this podcast for week, week two. Simon, what a week it's been. It's going to be an even bigger one next week. It always is, really. It never slows down. Absolutely. And it's also always great to talk with you. We have some plenty of great conversations, not just between us, but with our great guests on the show. You can, of course, read more about these on startupdaily.net as well as hearing the podcast. And if you're keen to watch the show, you can do that on catchup on ausbiz.com.au.